0: This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of infantile blouse disease, otherwise known as tibia vera, from the pediatric section on orthobullets.com. Let's start this episode with a quick summary. Infantile blouse disease is a progressive pathologic genuvarum centered at the tibia in children 2 to 5 years of age. Diagnosis is suspected clinically with the presence of a genuvarum slash flexion slash internal rotation deformity and confirmed radiographically with an increased metaphyseal diaphyseal angle. Treatment ranges from bracing to surgery depending on the patient age, severity of the deformity, and presence of a physeal bar. Now let's get into the episode. With respect to epidemiology, risk factors for infantile blouse disease include overweight children, early walkers defined as less than one year of age, as well as Hispanic and African-American children. Moving on to the etiology, infantile blouse disease is best divided into two distinct disease entities, infantile blouse disease, which we'll talk about in this episode, and adolescent blouse disease. Infantile blouse disease is a pathologic genuvarum in children two to five years of age. Males are more commonly affected than females. It is typically more common than adolescent Blount's disease, and it tends to be bilateral in 50% of the patients that have it. Adolescent Blount's disease is a pathologic genuvarum in children over 10 years of age. It is less common than infantile Blount's disease, it's less severe, and is more likely to be unilateral. As far as the etiology of infantile Blount's disease, it is likely multifactorial, but related to mechanical overload in genetically susceptible individuals, including excessive medial pressure that produces an osteochondrosis of the medial proximal tibial physis and epiphysis. Keep in mind that osteochondrosis can progress to a fysial bar. Now let's talk about some relevant anatomy. Keep in mind that genuvarum is a normal physiologic process in children. So with respect to physiologic genuvarum, Genuvarum, or bowed legs, is normal in children less than 2 years old. Genuvarum migrates to neutral at approximately 14 months, and this continues on to a peak genuvalgum, or knock knees, at approximately 3 years of age. Genuvalgum then migrates back to normal physiologic valgus at approximately 7 years of age. As far as the classification of infantile Blount's disease, the one to know is the Langenskold's classification where types one through four consists of increasing medial metaphyseal beaking and sloping. Type five and six have an epiphyseal metaphyseal bony bridge or a congenital bar across the physis. Keep in mind that the Langenskold classification provides prognostic guidelines. Now let's quickly compare infantile Blount's disease with adolescent Blount's disease with respect to age, bilaterality, risks, classification systems, severity, location, bone involvement, natural history, and treatment options. As far as age, infantile Blount's disease can be seen in patients 2 to 5 years old, and adolescent Blount's disease is seen in patients over 10 years old. As far as bilaterality, in infantile Blount's disease, 50% of patients have bilateral involvement. In adolescent Blount's disease, this is usually unilateral. Risk factors for infantile Blount's disease is early walking, large stature, and obesity. Risk factors for adolescent Blount's disease is obesity. The classification system for infantile Blount's disease is the Langenskold classification, while there is no radiographic classification for adolescent Blount's disease. The location of infantile Blount's disease is physial slash epiphyseal whereas adolescent Blount's disease is metaphyseal. As far as bone involvement in infantile blouse disease, the proximal medial tibia is involved that produces varus, flexion, internal rotation, and may have compensatory distal femoral valgus. As far as bone involvement in adolescent blouse, the proximal tibia physis is involved and it may have distal femoral varus and distal tibia valgus. As far as the natural history of infantile Blounce disease, it's typically self-limited, and stage two and stage four can exhibit spontaneous resolution. The natural history of adolescent Blounce is that it's progressive and never resolves spontaneously. Thus, bracing is unlikely to work. Treatment options for infantile Blounce disease is bracing and surgery. Treatment for adolescent Blounce is surgery only. With respect to the presentation of infantile Blounce Disease, On physical exam, you may notice a genuvarum slash flexion slash internal rotation deformity. Keep in mind that this condition is usually bilateral in infants, and these patients may exhibit a positive cover-up test. Infantile blount's disease is often associated with internal tibial torsion. There may be a leg length discrepancy. However, there is usually no tenderness, restriction of motion, or effusion. Finally, you may see a lateral thrust on walking in these patients. As far as imaging, radiographic views should ensure that the patella is facing forward for evaluation as this condition is commonly associated with internal tibial torsion. Findings suggestive of Blount's disease on plain films include varus focused at the proximal tibia, severe deformity, asymmetric bowing, medial and posterior sloping of the proximal tibial epiphysis, progressing deformity, sharp angular deformity, lateral thrust during gait, as well as metaphyseal beaking, which is different than physiologic bowing, which shows a symmetric flaring of the tibia and femur. Some measurements to be aware of include the metaphyseal-diaphyseal angle, or the drenin angle, as well as the tibio-femoral angle. The metaphyseal-diaphyseal angle, or the drenin angle, is the angle between the line connecting the metaphyseal beaks and a line perpendicular to the longitudinal axis of the tibia. Greater than 16 degrees is considered abnormal and has a 95% chance of progression drenin angles between 11 to 16 degrees necessitate close observation for the progression of tibia vera. Less than 10 degrees has a 95% chance of natural resolution of the bowing. A tibiofemoral angle is the angle between the longitudinal axis of the femur and the tibia. As far as the differential diagnosis for infantile blount's disease, the following conditions can also lead to pathologic genuvarum, and they are persistent physiological varus, rickets, Osteogenesis imperfecta, multiple epiphyseal dysplasia, metaphyseal dysostosis, focal fibrocartilaginous defect, thrombocytopenia and absent radius or TAR syndrome, and proximal tibial physeal injury, whether from radiation, infection, or trauma. Treatment of infantile Blount's disease can be nonoperative or operative. Nonoperative management includes brace treatment with a knee ankle foot orthosis or a CAFO and this is indicated for stage 1 and stage 2 in children less than 3 years old. Again, brace treatment with the KFO is indicated for stage 1 and stage 2 in children less than 3 years old. As far as the technique, bracing must continue for approximately 2 years for resolution of bony changes. With respect to the outcomes, there are improved outcomes if the infantile blount's disease is unilateral. Poor results are associated with obesity and bilaterality. If successful, improvement should occur within 1 year. Operative options include proximal tibia/fibula valgus osteotomy, growth modulation, physis bar resection, or a hemiplateau elevation. A proximal tibia/fibula valgus osteotomy is used to overcome the varus/flexion/internal rotation deformity. Indications include stage 1 and stage 2 in children greater than 3 years old, stage 3, stage 4, stage 5, and stage 6 as well as patients greater than or equal to 4 years old at all stages. It's also indicated for failure of brace treatment with progressive deformity and metaphyseal-diaphyseal angles of greater than 20 degrees. The technique involves performing an osteotomy below the tibial tubercle and stage procedures may be required for stage 4, 5, and 6, and epiphysiolysis may be required in stage 5 and stage 6. As far as outcomes of proximal tibia slash fibula valgus osteotomy, the risk of recurrence is significantly lessened if performed before 4 years of age. Moving on to growth modulation, this technique involves a tension band plate and screws. A physeal bar resection is indicated when there's at least 4 years of growth remaining. This technique should be performed together with an osteotomy, and the interpositional material is usually FAT or PMMA. Finally, a hemiplateau elevation may be performed together with an osteotomy. Now let's go over the surgical technique for a proximal tibia-fibula valgus osteotomy in a bit more detail. As far as the goals of correction, make sure to overcorrect into 10 to 15 degrees of valgus because medial fysial growth abnormalities persist. Remember that the distal segment is fixed in valgus, external rotation, and lateral translation. The technique for proximal tibia slash fibula valgus osteotomy involves staples and plates which function by increasing compression forces across the physis which slows longitudinal growth. This is known as the hutter volkmann principle. Temporary lateral physial growth arrest with staples or plates can be used, and this has increasing use for correction in young patients. This technique should involve including a bar resection or an epiphysiolysis when a fysial bar is present in the Langenskold, stage 5 and stage 6. Consider a hemiepiphysiodesis if the bar is greater than 50%. A medial tibial plateau elevation is required at the time of osteotomy if significant depression is present. And consider a prophylactic anterior compartment fasciotomy in these patients. Some complications to be aware of include compartment syndrome with a high tibial slash fibular osteotomy. Therefore, a prophylactic release of the anterior compartment should be considered. Recurrence of tibia vara is another complication, and this can occur in severe cases of infantile Blount's disease, which may develop a fissile bar. And this can result in progressive varus after a well executed proximal tibial valgus osteotomy. And these cases may require a lateral tibial hemiepiphysiodesis or a bar resection. As far as the prognosis of infantile Blount's disease, best outcomes occur with early diagnosis and unloading of the medial joint with either bracing or an osteotomy. Young children with Lengenskold stage two and stage four can have spontaneous correction. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, a 17-year-old boy is referred to your clinic by his pediatrician for a workup of bowed legs. The patient's mother states that she has other children that grew out of it by age 3 or 4. Examination of the patient reveals a child whose measurements reside in the 75 percentile for height and weight. His gait appears appropriate for a toddler without varus thrust. Supine measurements show 10 degrees of symmetric bilateral genuvarus. Appropriate workup includes... And the choices are 1. Long-term clinical and radiographic monitoring to plan for guided growth until skeletal maturity. 2. X-rays today and at age 4 to ensure resolution of its genuvarum. 3. Genetic screening for metabolic causes of rickets. 4. Vitamin D levels drawn today and weekly 50,000 international units of vitamin D injections, assuming the value is low. And five, clinical observation and follow-up to monitor resolution of genuvarum. The correct answer to this question is five, clinical observation and follow-up to monitor resolution of genuvarum. So this patient has physiologic genuvarum or tibia vara, which is common in toddlers less than two years of age. The mainstay of treatment is simple observation as there is predictable resolution of this alignment as children. There are numerous etiologies of genuvarum in children. Most common in the children under age two is a predictable pattern of genuvarum and internal torsion in the first year or so after beginning to walk. Persistence of genuvarum, severe or worsening deformity defined as greater than 20 degrees, limb asymmetry or varus thrust gait, and low height and weight percentiles should trigger further workup with x-rays and metabolic or genetic screening. A family history of genuvarum is not specific, and in isolation does not indicate heritable causes of genuvarum. Kling and Hensinger's review article highlights normal angular and torsional deviations in growing children, including genuvarum and genuvalgum, as well as hip and hindfoot deformities. They emphasize that understanding the natural history of these deformities in growing children helps the treating physician identify those who need more than simple observation of their malalignment. Staheli et al. published normal values of rotational profile physical exam maneuvers including thigh-foot axis, transmalleolar axis, prone internal and external hip rotation to better understand the predictable changes in different age groups. Birch provides an update on current treatment of Blount's disease. He suggests further radiographic evaluation in ambulatory infants with asymmetric varus deformity or varus deformity that persists after age 18 months. If these findings are present, radiographs are recommended. If the x-rays reveal metaphyseal-diaphyseal angles of greater than 16 degrees on AP radiographs and confirm the diagnosis of infantile Blount's disease, he recommends antivirus long leg bracing during ambulation for patients aged less than or equal to 3 years with progressive deformity, clear radiographic evidence of infantile Blount's disease, or lateral thrust with ambulation. Moving on to the next question, Physiologic bowing of the lower extremities should spontaneously correct by what age? And the choices are 1, 3 months, 2, 6 months, 3, 12 months, 4, 36 months, and 5, 72 months. The correct answer to this question is 4, 36 months. Physiologic bowing is common and benign. Bowing is typically symmetric, involving both the femur and tibia, and is usually most prominent in toddlers. It usually resolves by 2 years of age, but there is great variability. By age 36 months, almost all children will correct spontaneously. In children with physiologic bowing, the screening examination is typically normal and a family history is absent. Therefore, radiographs are not necessary. If the deformity has not resolved by age 2 years, an AP radiograph of the lower limbs should be obtained. This provides documentation of the severity of the bowing, permits measurement of the metaphyseal-diaphyseal angle and or Langen-Skold's grade, and allows evaluation for conditions such as rickets or bony dysplasia. No treatment is indicated for physiologic bowing. Moving on to the next question, a 32-month-old male with severe infantile Blount's disease has been treated with full-time bracing for the past year. At most recent follow-up, the varus deformity of his bilateral legs has worsened despite compliance with bracing. What treatment is now recommended? And the choices are 1. Observation and discontinuation of bracing. 2. Observation and continuation of full-time bracing. 3. Bilateral proximal tibial osteotomies. 4. Bilateral distal femur osteotomies and 5. Bilateral proximal tibial medial hemiepiphysiodesis. The correct answer to this question is 3. Bilateral proximal tibial osteotomies. So this clinical scenario is consistent for a child with infantile blouse disease who is less than 3 years of age, but has failed the first line of treatment, which is bracing. At this time, bilateral proximal tibial osteotomies is the most appropriate treatment. To quickly review, infantile Blount's disease is a pathologic type of tibia vara which develops in children 0 to 4 years of age. Bracing is indicated in patients less than 3 years of age with Lengenskold stage 1 to 2 disease and is more effective in patients with the unilateral disease. Surgery is indicated if varus secondary to Blount's disease persists at the age of 4 or if bracing fails in 2 to 3 year olds after 12 months. Correction is achieved surgically with a proximal tibial realignment osteotomy. Feldman et al. discusses the two options of acute versus gradual correction of tibia vera. They concluded that gradual correction is a more accurate treatment in regards to correction of the limb length inequality, mechanical axis deviation, and medial proximal tibial angles. While there is literature to support the use of guided growth in patients with adolescent blounts, further investigation is required to see if similar results can be obtained in patients with infantile blounts. Moving on to the next question, Lateral tibial fysial stapling is a treatment option for adolescent Blount's disease. How is the staple an example of the hooter volkmann principle? And the choices are 1. Increased compression along the growth plate slows longitudinal growth. 2. Decreased compression along the growth plate slows longitudinal growth. 3. Increased tension along the growth plate slows longitudinal growth. 4. Decreased tension along the growth plate slows longitudinal growth. And 5. Increased compression along the growth plate increases longitudinal growth. The correct answer to this question is 1. Increased compression along the growth plate slows longitudinal growth. So the use of staples in treatment of Blount's disease allows for compression to be applied to the lateral portion of the physis. The resulting compression per the Hooter Volkmann principle will cause a slowing in longitudinal growth. Blount's disease is the most common cause of pathologic genuvarum. The pathoanatomy is thought to involve elevated medial compartment pressures of the knee in early walkers. This can lead to physeal dysfunction and potentially physeal bar formation. Obese patients and African-Americans are at risk for this condition. Lateral tibial epiphysiodesis in the form of physeal stapling slows longitudinal growth. The basis of this is the hutter volkmann principle, which states that increasing compression across a growth plate leads to decreasing growth and increasing tension stimulates growth. Sabrawal et al. reviewed the pathophysiology, diagnosis, and management of Blount's disease. While epiphysiodesis procedures can be used to manage the condition when enough growth remains, realignment tibial osteotomies can decrease the risk of recurrent deformity. Mohen et al developed a model of physio failure in bovine tibial and femoral specimens. Various forms of stress were applied. It was found that compression leads to failure of the zone of provisional calcification. Tensile loads lead to failure in the upper zone of columnation. Torsional stresses led to failure in all zones of the physis. And moving on to the final question, a valgus-producing proximal tibial osteotomy with 10 degrees of overcorrection is the most appropriate treatment for which of the following patients with tibia vara? And the choices are 1, a 4-year-old obese child with Blount's disease, langen stage 4, 2, an 18-month-old child with a proximal tibia metaphyseal-diaphyseal angle of 11 degrees, 3, a 2-year-old obese child with Blount's disease, langen stage 2 disease, 4. A 5 year old child with untreated renal osteodystrophy and a proximal tibia metaphyseal diaphyseal angle of 16 degrees. And 5. An 8 year old child with distal femoral varus and lateral distal femoral angle of 95 degrees. The correct answer to this question is a 4 year old obese child with Blount's disease, Langenskold stage 4. So children who are too old for bracing, morbidly obese, and have advanced Blount's disease that is stage 4, 5, or 6 are candidates for proximal tibial osteotomy. Furthermore, it has been shown that overcorrection of the deformity can lead to decreased recurrence rates. Rainey et al. reviewed 38 tibia vara patients with 60 tibia treated with orthotics. The patients all had metaphyseal-diaphyseal angles of greater than 16 degrees or between 9 and 16 degrees with a clinical risk factor for progression. They found an overall success rate of 90% with slightly less favorable outcomes in those patients with a metaphyseal-diaphyseal angle of greater than 16. Risk factors for failure were instability, obesity, and delayed bracing. Loder and Johnston studied the applicability of Lang classification to a population of patients with infantile tibia vera. They found that early brace treatment was only 50% effective, and that if an osteotomy procedure was performed after the age of 4, then repeat osteotomies were commonly required. Of the patients who underwent osteotomies, a trend towards better results was seen with increasing valgus correction. That's all for this review about infantile blouse disease or tibia vera. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.